Welcome to This Academic Life, episode 13. Hi, I am Kim Michelle Lewis, Associate Dean of Research and Professor of Physics. Hi, I'm Lucy Zhang. I'm a professor in mechanical engineering. Hi, I'm Pania Newell. I'm an assistant professor in mechanical engineering. We all have heard this phrase, publish or perish. The phrase dates all the way back to 1942 when a sociologist named Logan Wilson used it in a book studying academia as a career. Back then, he used the phrase as a prevailing pragmatism forced upon the academics group, which to this day still feels the same way to many researchers in academia. Whether you like it or not, publish or perish is a reality for today's academics, and it's unlikely to change anytime soon. But the question is, should we care about quality or quantity? Most critics of academic research assume that quality is opposed to quantity. But quantity doesn't mean to sacrifice quality. In 1841, the Harvard librarian John Langdon Sibley realized that quality can positively correlate with quantity. In this episode, we will explore whether such correlation still exists in today's academic world. But before we start, I would like to ask Lucy to introduce our guest. Well, we have a very special guest today, Professor Stefan Bordas. He's a very established researcher. We actually overlapped during our PhD studies in the theoretical and applied mechanics, which is also known as TAM from Northwestern University. And upon graduation, he worked at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in the Switzerland for three years. He then became a lecturer in Glasgow University from 06 to 09. And then from there, he joined another TAM team at Cardiff University and became a professor there and directed the Institute of Mechanics and Advanced Materials. In 2013, he joined the University of Luxembourg, where he is right now as a professor in computational mechanics. So welcome, Stefan. Thank you very much, Lucy. And it's so great to see you again. It's been a very long time since we last saw each other, but we overlap in many aspects of research. So I've been following your work. So I know that you are very productive in publishing and many of the work that you have done have been cited and, and used at many places. So let's start by asking what makes these uh, scientific results publishable? Thanks a lot. So first of all, I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation. I also remember very fondly the time that uh, we spent together in the TAM lab and all these many hours spent behind computers and workstations with the supercomputer in the background, you working frantically and me <laughs> in a similar way. Sitting we next used to, to the fight printer. over those computers, don't we? <laughs> yes, it was first come, first serve. So you had to camp in the corridor essentially uh, so that was really that's been actually a motivation from from the beginning of, of my career I think I've been very much molded by the time that I've spent at Northwestern and that has had a, not in not even an impact but has completely shaped 
the way that that I do research for very many years, and and I think it's basically the competitive approach and the competitive nature of uh, the environment which has shaped the way I'm I'm thinking. And so when I was at Northwestern, I I remember attending the group meetings that were uh, led by Winkam Liu and Ted Belichko, and also my my advisor Brian Moran was. Uh, very frequently there. And I remember being really touched by the amount of work that was going into these meetings, both by the students and by the professors. So they were always on the ball and very much ready. And um, I think that that was one huge motivation at the time uh, to understand really what made something worthwhile and what didn't make it worthwhile uh, pursuing. And I think being born, let's say, academically in, a, in an environment where the, um, you are working with the top people in the field that are you know, competing internationally allowed us, at least from my point of view, to understand that you have to reach a certain quality level in order for your work to be meaningful. But at the same time, I very quickly realized that there was also a notion of quantity associated with that ability to publish top results. And I realized that very quickly because at the end of my PhD, I actually had published zero papers simply because I had to learn everything from scratch. So it took me much more time than others uh, in order to get to a certain level. So I had to attend dozens of lectures and courses and I realized I need really to move on fast because otherwise I'm not going to be competitive at all because I saw my neighbors that were publishing continuously, although no one told me you should publish. You know, it was so clear and obvious that you, it was an infusion. I mean, everybody was infused with publications there. It was part of life. Thanks to Northwestern, you know, you're really in, in the vicinity of so many new ideas that are coming out constantly that you know you can associate these ideas together and at the end of the day come up with even more ideas and that's why i think it's important in our field because in general i don't know what makes scientific results publishable but i know that in our field at least in in my field in computational mechanics it is relatively easy to find new ideas that you can publish and the requirements of having only a computer, pen and paper, and a brain uh, are, not, are not too expensive. So what I, what I did at the time is think, okay, I have a few ideas. How can I use those very simple, very basic ideas to move forward? And I was helped a lot by people. Unfortunately, I would say that for any idea, there exists a journal which will be adequate idea to be published. So, I, because there is a huge variety of journals. So in my field, I think it's, if you have a, a, a decent idea and if you are using the scientific method, meaning that your results are verifiable and falsifiable and that you can reason around that and the method is correct, that you can verify, if possible, validate what you do, then I think you, you know, probably that idea will be publishable. But I think it doesn't go uh, this way for all fields. As long as you follow a scientific method, which, you know, as long as you are ethical and moral about the way you write things and you do things with, you know, with a proper uh, idea in mind, I think things are publishable 
in many cases, you were, when you submit a paper, they ask you to provide highlights. You know, those highlights are typically are a list of novelty points that goes before the actual article. Do you think th these novelty points can be easily identified, at least for the papers that say you published? Are they easy to identify and how are they defined? I really like that question a lot because the first time these novelty points appeared, I was completely at a loss trying to figure out what to write there because I thought it was uh, basically what's written in the abstract. So uh, I felt like copy and pasting, copying and pasting the abstract into these novelty points simply because if we say it in the abstract, why should we say it again? But right. uh, then my students asked me, what should I write here? I told them, well, you know, what do you think is new about what you did? Personally, I think it's very difficult to define what is new. And I had a discussion with an editor of a journal in, in our field recently about that because there were some reviewers claiming that the work we had done was incremental. And I was basically stating that, yes, as all pieces of research, or 99% of them, that work was incremental uh, because we are only splitting the work of of many into small bits. Novelty for me is, is super difficult because in, in our field, you know, if you, for example, you change one part of the method and we all know what finite elements, for example, are made of, it's just a numerical method. Uh, if you change one part of this method, then you will have a new method and you can move uh, to, a, you can write a new paper, you can verify the results, plot convergence curves, and you will be accepted because you're following the proper method. And so everything will work. Is it really new? Yes, because it's not been published before. Is it really fundamentally useful to humankind? No, because probably we will not need that paper in 20 years, but who knows? Maybe we don't know what's going to happen. And maybe 20 years from now, someone picks up this thing and has another idea. That's probably the most likely thing. Picks up a random paper, which I used to do in the library when we didn't have the internet. And I think in our field, really, honestly, I think novelty is very easy to get by uh, because anything that builds on what was already done there before is going to be new. Right. Yeah, I love that answer. I mean, it's 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 all relative. So you mentioned earlier that at the beginning you didn't really write a lot of papers, and then later on you kind of this peer pressure or this necessity to kind of getting the papers published and writing more and more. Do you feel that as you publish more paper, you're generating better paper as you do it? Uh, definitely, yes. The more you do something, the better you get at it. So if you don't write anything, then obviously you don't know how to write. And I remember during my master's, my PhD, my master's advisor, Charles Dowding, was constantly looking back at my writing coming back on it and criticizing it five or 10 times. And at the time I couldn't understand how is it possible that I write something I need to correct it 10 times before it's, it's good enough. And then I realized, but really much later, I mean, probably five, six years later that this was just a process. So that's the first part. I think it's a process of learning how to write and the best way to learn is to try out and spend tens of thousands of hours on, on doing something. And I think that's why sometimes more can also mean better because the more experience you have, the better you get. Early on, you talked about that 
no matter what subject you are talking about or you are uh, conducting your research on there are opportunities and there are journals that you can publish in so my question is how should we select our journals for publications so thank you pania this is a for me a difficult question and the reason is that again there are two angles to the problem as usual there is the more capitalistic answer and there is the more uh, correct answer which relates to to quality so there is the quality and there is the quantity uh, answer here again coming in so uh, this is something very very difficult so the first thing i would say is that uh, if i have a choice i'm always putting the career of my students first and I'm thinking about myself second, at least I try to do this. I hope that my collaborators would agree. And so that means that I should not select the journal that's going to be best for me, but select the journal that's going to be best for them. For example, if a student is did a first degree in mathematics, first thing I will ask them is, okay, what's your goal in life? Do you want to be an academic or do you want to go to industry? But basically I would think about what the, the student needs for their dreams to, to be realized. And then I would try to, to adjust. Sometimes the students really don't know. And then I just take it by based on my own rules. And my rule is always to aim for the top journal first and then to go down in rank. And that's why I said this is a complicated question because how do you rank journals? And uh, according to the generally agreed principles, uh, people rank journals according to things like impact factors and the half-life of citations and uh, immediacy indices and all sorts of things. So for me, I, I do what, what I do is I really try to figure out what would be the best for the student. And if the best is to publish in the top journal in our field, for me, it, it, it all depends on the goals. So, you know, uh, if you want to, of course, the best would be to publish in in multidisciplinary journals, science, PNAS, uh, nature, if you can. So I guess it's all a matter of objective. For me, I wouldn't say that it's so easy to, to, to define quality because for, for me, as long as you follow a proper method and what you do is correct, you are not lying, you're not hiding results, you are, you are not publishing only what works, but you're also publishing what doesn't work and you're honest about the coefficients that the parameters for example during my phd i would say that i encountered low quality work as in papers that i was reading in order to understand what i had to do maybe that's uh, an interesting example because i was reading a paper and i was trying to reproduce the, the results in that paper and that's why i say you should follow the scientific method because so i was trying to reproduce i was using a, a different method but in particular cases, one was coinciding with the other. So basically it was a particular case. So I should have gotten exactly the same results. So that was a 100% verification method. I could absolutely be sure and nail the problem. And I was constantly getting different results and I couldn't understand why. And then I realized that the paper I was reading only worked for one particular set of parameters and only for that set of parameters, no other which meant that I was reading a paper which I thought was general but happened to only work for one case and of course then when you're a student you don't know anything uh, you don't necessarily have the idea of uh, of checking for exactly the same parameter set and not 
not any different. And then I realized, okay, this is only valid for Poisson's ratio in that case equals zero, which is quite a particular case. Um, and uh, everything else then became very obvious. So I think then I wasted a lot of time there. I wasted probably a month uh, trying to figure out why my code was incorrect when it was correct. And uh, I had no bug anywhere. The thing was right, but the paper I was building my, my response on was not. What makes high quality is to do something well. So it doesn't need to be so new that you know you revolutionize the world. We are going to make incremental steps, but we need to make them well. So we need to make sure that each paper is proofread a hundred times until it's perfect. So I think we have the duty to do things well so that others can build on it with certainty and confidence. So for me, quality is really by applying and having huge criteria for, for precision. And that, that's what I would say. Hi, Stefan. So my question is, do you think there are some unconscious bias when it comes to whether or not a publication is, uh, a manuscript is published in a journal? So for example, do you think it's based on the material or the subject matter, the university you come from, whether you're at a highly ranked university versus um, a, a university that may have a department but is not well known for publishing in that area, or whether who your PhD advisor was or who your co-authors are on the publication, do you think there is an unconscious bias during the publishing process about whether or not it's selected or not? Thanks a lot for that question, which may lead to quite controversial discussions. <laughs> and uh, so I'll uh, try to remain uh, as politically correct as a Frenchman can be. The, um, I definitely think that, um, that there is uh, not only an unconscious, but a conscious <laughs> bias as well. So um, simply, and I think it, it comes from a variety of, of reasons. For example, if you come from a highly ranked university, people might think that you have better ideas because you come from that, that university. If you end up with an expert that really, really knows it very well, they will judge it without uh, any bias, as, as they should. But then if you end up with someone who is not really an expert and is given a paper to review, which happens unfortunately all the time, then I think there will be a bias. They will think, okay, yeah, they come from Stanford, therefore they are good, or they come from Oxford, therefore they are better, which doesn't help the, the, the authors at all. But then when you have a dialogue, things are quite different. So I think it's, uh, it's, it's a really huge difficulty what, you, what you're asking here, because there are, there are biases uh, really, I think there are biases which shouldn't be there and they are there all the time. And if you publish, so second part of the question, with other people that are top people. So I saw it myself uh, recently. I happened to publish one paper, which was the first in a certain series of papers, with, uh, probably one of the first times someone thought about doing this. And I published that and the same year or the year after I published a similar paper with really a top person, uh, much more advanced than me, in a very well-known university and so on. And I saw the difference. I mean, the paper, the second paper, which is uh, probably appeared later, and is less new because it basically builds upon what was already done in the first paper, which is earlier. I think the new paper, the second paper, is cited four times more uh, because I was writing it with someone who was 
even more experienced, even more accepted, and even more influential. And I think some people just by default look at certain key keywords and they follow these people. I mean, I do that too. You know, I follow certain people on Google Scholar because I want to know what they are doing. And when a paper comes out, I'm going to follow that person, but not one of the authors that's in the list. So it doesn't mean it's bad or good. It's just the way it is. And I think the US is largely, US and China probably are hugely favored in, in that sense that the papers that appear in the US and we did some work on, on actually um, bibliometrics uh, also recently. And it seems that what's done in the US has a, an edge over what is done uh, somewhere else. And also probably because the number of PhD students there and the amount of research being done is much larger than it is anywhere else in the, in, in the world and, and, and in China. So, yeah, I think, um, I think the other part of the question was related to high quality publications uh, to make it in a top ranked uh, journal. And well, I, I think this is, this is not, not easy because there is a lot of randomness in the process in uh, top ranked journals, because sometimes you just need to write the right thing at the right time also. Uh, and the quality is maybe a bit secondary. You need to be also topical and in fashion and you need to be you know, right, thinking about the right thing at the right time and maybe surfing on the wave also. There's something that, that people need, probably students need to learn to do because at the beginning of a career, it's helpful to just jump on the bandwagon fast enough in a field which is exponentially rising because if you can do that and you get the resources to publish fast enough in that field, you are more or less guaranteed, especially if you follow someone who's doing very top research, you're probably guaranteed to, to make it at least for, for some time. And then you need to find another bandwagon to, to jump in, which then gives you the quantity, let's say, so that you can have the luxury of doing quality. Because I think quality becomes almost a luxury. So you're going to be bound to have to publish things that are maybe not exactly what you would like, but this allows you to get funding, allows you to get critical mass. And with that critical mass, you generate new ideas. That's what I do in my group. I try to say, okay, I would like optimally five people in this, five people in this, five in this. And then I will have a, a mixture of backgrounds that will automatically by serendipity create new ideas. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to have the team generate the new ideas so that the quality is there and that we can publish in in better journals perhaps, but most importantly that the, the team, you know, makes it in the long run. That's what I'm really deep down interested in today, at least. Yeah, thank you for that that perspective. And it didn't lead to a controversial conversation. I think you handled that question <laughs> very well. So I appreciate it. The last question I have is, if you had to give advice to assistant professor who was kind of stuck in a situation thinking about quality versus quantity, right? What would you tell them? Maybe advice, if I can give any piece of advice that's valuable, it would be to first think about, about people, people being either yourself or the people you work with, thinking about funding, but funding in a smart way. I think what I would say is really be genuine at the beginning of your career and try to find a niche in which you're the best person and you know what you're doing there. Be genuine, try to find funding for what you really want to do. Don't try to do a hundred things at, at, at the same time because that's not gonna work. Be selective in what you do so that you save your energy. I was working 70 hours a week easily, a hundred sometimes. And 
uh, and because I was trying to do everything. So that's something I could do better. I, you know, I could have selected the funding streams in a smarter way by talking to more people. So people focus on, the, on, on what is really important. And, and I, I would say also do things well. So don't rush. You know. So people funding and uh, trying to do things well. And I think um, and, uh, that you can choose it, but be lucky, create opportunities. I love that. I love that, Stefan. Uh, thank you so much, Stefan. This is a very huge topic that we've been discussing today. And thank you so much for all these great advice and also sharing your personal experiences with us. I'm sure it'll benefit from all of our audience, from you know, junior faculty, even graduate students, junior faculty, all the way to even senior faculty. And it's a lot for us to practice, to learn as we sort of navigate in this academic uh, system. Um, it's a hard thing to balance between quality and quantities in scientific publishing, um, but we're always learning. We're always uh, uh, trying to adopt uh, in, e in each one of our own fields. And uh, we're trying to make an impact in this community at the end of the day. That's what we're trying to achieve. So with that, thank you so much, uh, Stefan, and we hope, uh, you know, we'll get you back again for some other, uh, other hot topics that we want to discuss. I would be super happy, and uh, I hope that uh, uh, we'll continue doing good work. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. Find us at thisacademiclife.org or follow us on Facebook. You can listen to our latest episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or Google Podcasts. Please rate us. We welcome any feedback or suggestions for future episodes. Join us next time for the good, the bad, and the ugly of this academic life. <laughs>